Andrew Dowdy on the High Motor Podcast. Chase Kitty, your favorite Richmond VA resident on the High Motor Podcast. This is going to be a loaded episode as we barrel towards Selection Sunday. Those four glorious days for the week. And Chase, I want to start with something really quickly. I've never been to a first or a second round NCAA tournament game. I've never done it. I don't think that I ever would do it. Like, give me, give me the front row press seat, front row tickets, travel, whatever. I'm not, I'm not going to do that because I don't think anything substitutes for being at home or sportsbook or whatever you want to do that Thursday through Sunday. So when I turn on like the the first games on Thursday morning, and you know when some of those arenas are like half full, the the natural reaction I feel like in some cases is to think, well, shit, that's extremely pathetic, but it's not. Like Thursday late morning when things are fired up, I don't want to be in person at the 6-11 game, the 3-14 game. I want to be at home. Have you ever done an opening weekend game? Uh, no, I almost went to when JMU played LIU Brooklyn in 2013. I almost went to that just, you know, to be a good alum, but I mean, you, you nail this, right? There is when Thursday gets going and there's a couple, you know, the first couple hours, it's just kind of like one after another. And there's not like a lot of overload. And then you get to like that four thirty, five o'clock, six o'clock time. And there's like so many games happening at one. There's so many games on, like they can't even put them all on TV. That's just like, that's what I think heaven's like if you're good, you know? Yeah. I don't, I just don't, I don't understand why you would want to go, right? <laughs> right why, why would you want to do that? It's the only time in, well, maybe not the only, but it's one of the only time in sports where the TV product is way better, right? Way better than the in-game product. You would much rather be watching on TV. Yeah. Are you, are you one of the guys that wants because how they stagger it like you mentioned I think I think the first one tips off at like 12:10 Eastern time or something like that and it's kind of slow. It's like the next game starts at like 12:40 and generally with how like the half times are staggered there's usually only one maybe two games on for a little bit and then you kind of have that lull like around dinner or so. And I know that I talked about this last year. Are you one of the guys that would just prefer if they spaced it out and went from 12 Eastern until midnight? Or do you like having, as a single man in Richmond VA, do you like having that that hour or an hour and a half to go out and get after it and then come back and regroup? Oh, uh, no. I'm When it's March Madness and I'm locked in, I'm locked in. I don't need to go like... I have 361 other days to make really poor choices. I don't need to leave my house like that particular weekend. I will. I'll order food. I'll, I'll. I'll do whatever I need to do, but I'm not leaving the couch. I'm. I'm locked in until. I don't know. I, I probably start losing steam like late day three. But for those two and a half days, I'm. There's nothing ever. There's nothing else I'm doing. There's nothing else that's better. Tons to get to on the show today. We're gonna have a hot seat discussion. Play your wrong. Uh, but first, something that you mentioned the other day as a potential topic. You texted me. What do you have to see from a team in January and February to be blanketly on them? In March, your topic, the floor to you. 
Well, okay. First of all, not to not to not to mess you up too bad here. I said blanketly off of them. Yeah. So what do I don't know, there there are and obviously I'm having this uh, I'm sort of having an existential crisis because we've talked about this many times on the podcast before. I'm a West Virginia guy, and like, do you know how far back do you got to go to find the last time West Virginia won a game on the road? And I it's just really starting to feel like what is this team capable of, if anything, in March? Because they they had a nice run that Andy Katz picked them to finish last in the Big 12, which was just silly. And then they, you know, they exceed expectations early, and everybody's like, oh, Huggins has got them back in the top 20. They, you know, another good West Virginia team. And then all of a sudden, they can't win on the road. They can't hit free throws. They can't do anything. So what? it's not like I think they suck, but I started wondering... What does it look like for what does a team have to look like in January for you to go? You know what? I've seen enough. I don't think this is a high ceiling team in March. And Just it's honestly probably right a discussion with several losses. different tiers uh, because I, I, I mean, if we're talking national championship, I, even though that the national champion is unpredictable in some cases, there's there's a profile of a national champion when there's rarely a team. I mean, just kind of the top of my head, going back the last few years, I remember like 2017 North Carolina, they had they had some, uh, not bad losses during the year, but they had some double-digit losses. But the profile of a national champion is the consistency. It's not getting blown out. It's not having those really bad losses, especially in, in like you said, January and February. But then on one hand, you're also saying, okay, what's the profile of a Sweet 16 team? So it seems like... You, you're not you're not even getting into the discussion. Specifically, we'll stick with West Virginia here. Of West Virginia being a national champion, being a Final Four team, it's more of can West Virginia even make it to the to the, the second weekend? Yeah, it, it's. I mean, there's two conversations I'm having right now out loud. Right, one is me as a West Virginia fan going, I think right. I have to recalibrate what the goals are from for my team this year because it just feels like they're too inconsistent uh whereas if you asked me in december i might have gone i i don't know man could be back in the final four they they look that talented now you know i mean ta- the talent's not an issue but there it, it just feels like they don't have the consistency to do that the other conversation is you know what are the, what are the trail markers through conference play where you're going, okay, I like what I'm seeing. I, I buy into this team or I just, you know, I know they're a lock for the tournament, but boy, does it feel like, you know, they could be upset by a 14 seed in the first round. You know, what are, what are the signposts that you're looking at for teams like that? I kind of want to push back on that and, and almost say that we talked about last week, you know, how the, the tournament's unpredictable every year and saying that before the tournament that it's wide open is not some deep analysis. So I almost want to push back on you because when I fill out a bracket, whether it's for money or casually or whatever, I do so many things that's against my gut. I have never had a perfect bracket, and I am very certain that you have not. I don't know how many people on the planet have actually had a perfect bracket ever. The number's not high. Therefore, you should almost always go against your gut. I'm, when I fill out a bracket, I want a perfect bracket. I do not give a shit if I nail 64 of 65. I couldn't care less. I'm going for the perfect bracket. Therefore, I spend a lot of time pushing back on my gut. And one example that, that I can think of, going back to when, when Kansas played Oregon in the 2017 Elite Eight. Oregon had no business winning that game. And, and as a Kansas alum, I went into that game 
when, when I saw, I can't remember who Oregon beat um, in the Sweet 16 to get there. When that happened, my immediate reaction was, great matchup for Kansas. And then seeing how, well, remembering, I guess, how unpredictable the tournament is, my next natural reaction is go against the gut. Even though this looks like a great matchup for Kansas, we've seen time and time again of even though I saw you know Jordan Bell going down, I saw what, what the last two months brought us, I saw how good that Kansas team was, but I still want to go against my gut. So kind of pushing back against what you're saying, I even though I see something from a team in January or February, and we've seen a lot from Kansas lately, we've seen a lot from Baylor even with that loss, it's almost like that doesn't really do anything for me because how how unpredictable the tournament has been. Does that make sense? Yeah, but I don't think I'm talking about losses. And I'm not talking about records. I'm talking about fatal flaws. And I don't think if you have a fatal flaw, I, I don't know. You know, you you just need help when it comes to the matchups that you get, you know, thrown in March. And, and gotcha. I, I'm, so, you're, so you're more like this team cannot defend the three and you know, in their region, they have five teams that hit thirty-eight percent from three. That's your problem. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm starting to look at what teams, and, and I, I think if you asked me this almost any other year, I would be like, man, it's it it's March. You never know. Like anything can happen, and just because a team has a bad stretch in January doesn't mean you should be automatically out on them on March. But I mean, the more the more I watch this West Virginia team, it's just like, man, like. I, it feels like they're not going to be able to do anything. And obviously, nobody will be happier than me, you know, when they w- rip off like three runs and they're in the Elite Eight again, because that's kind of just what Huggins does. Like, uh, but uh, man, I don't know. It, with How much of you wants to see them, and West Virginia has in the past, and even though that they've been criticized for their offense, not just this year, but in years past, West Virginia has been able to win different ways. I don't know if that's kind of what you're getting at, but one of those. Um, benchmarks or whatever you're referring to for me is when I, when I see a team that can, Maryland Maryland's a good example this year. I mean Maryland has three losses. I, I just looked earlier this morning at their team sheet. Three losses in which they failed to score more than 55 points. That is extremely concerning for me. I just I I don't want to see a team that that, that gives up. I and mean, when Gonzaga that was just one game against BYU, but when you're giving up 91 to BYU. Or when you're a Maryland team that has three losses in which they've failed to score 55 points, I want to see Maryland go like two and one in those games. Win win two of those games, 55-51, 52-50, something like that. Or I know because of the the different styles of play that they're going to get in in their region if they want to win the four games to get to Atlanta. I want to see them win different styles of play. I want to see them win the 55 to 50 games. And not just the seventy to sixty games. Yeah, because you know the March, you know games in March are going to be tight, right? You you know when you get into tournament play, both conference tournament play and the actual NCAA tournament, you're going to have to hit free throws at the end. You know you're going to have to hit some open shots when you get them. You're you're going to have to do certain things. And I think when you have maybe a slow stretch in the season of a couple games, maybe you go one and three on a four game stretch. Maybe you lose a few road games in a row. That's one thing, right? But I'm, I think what I'm trying to figure out right now, and I don't think I have the answer, I'm just talking out loud and you guys are listening, is where is it you're playing the result in season and when are you saying this team has X flaw, it is a fatal flaw, that's why, I know that's why they're losing these games and that's going to reproduce itself in March too. Well, I think when you lose to Texas, your season's over. <laughs> I know that that's correct? the world you want to live in, yeah. 
Um, yeah, I, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if there's really an answer to your question. No. That's why I wanted you to explain it more. And for me, again, it's more about the consistency, and I think that's why we're going to see, uh, depending on what Baylor does here with, with Texas Tech and West Virginia coming up over the final week, what what I look for more than anything else is the consistency and then what you allude to, those close games. I mean, with, with Baylor and Kansas, for example, um, I think so Baylor lost to, lost to Washington. And yeah, I know it's Washington. I get that. But they have two losses by six points. Um, they beat Kansas on the roll, and then with Kansas, two of their three losses by three total points. I don't want I don't want to see you lose by 12, 15, 20 points. And I think a lot of those teams that are kind of like in that second tier get knocked out for me. But again, going back to how I first approached this, I mean, there have been teams like I said, 2017 North Carolina pull up their schedule. They had several. I think they had four losses by at least eight points. So it's not like it doesn't happen where we have these teams that go on the road and I don't know what it, West Virginia lost to Texas by what like nine or something, I can't remember what the margin of victory was. So it's almost like yes they have these losses, but pushing back against my gut, I don't even know where this conversation is going. Yeah, you know you you say an interest. So if we can sort of veer off for for one second, and then maybe we go to another topic. Uh, when you say pushing back against your gut, I I think what you're what you're referencing. Uh, is the idea that when we get to March, there are certain assumptions, right? And I guess this gets into more of the gambling component. But you're, what you want to do is take calculated risks, and you want to you want to know why you believe something. And mm-hmm. like people, people feel like you know there are certain public assumptions that everybody makes, and if you can correctly identify, you know, actually, I I don't think that team's very good, like. Gonzaga is a great example. There were a couple years there where Gonzaga was like a one seed and they didn't really deserve it and they lost early. But then it kind of overcorrected, I'd say the last three or four years where people go, oh, Gonzaga, West Coast Conference, don't get challenged mm-hmm. at all. You know, play a couple nice teams early. Like they're overrated. And Gonzaga's had some really nice tournaments the last few years. So actually, like, Taking a, a one seed like Gonzaga far can actually win you some points that other people aren't willing to score. Like it, it, it's about knowing when to go against the grain, and I guess to your point, knowing when to go against your own inclinations. Uh, and, and that's like if you want to talk about March gambling and filling out brackets and 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 betting games against the spread and all that. Like all that is a really important component, and I'm sure we're going to talk about that more next month. Yeah, and I wasn't going to go to hot seat here, but that last one, I kind of want to go to your wrong because one of these I have in your wrong, I think it is is kind of falls into that same bucket. So let's just hop into that right now. And the one that I'm referring to, uh, number one here, I'm going to say that Dayton will get a two seed, but they're going to be underdogs in that second round game. And I'm not even looking for you to tell me that I'm right or wrong here. Yes, I want your opinion as a better, but also more so that when people that haven't paid attention to Dayton, maybe they watch him in the A-10 tournament, maybe they like Obi Toppum's name, something like that. When they realize that Dayton is actually a really, really good team, I think everyone's going to kind of be all about Dayton, but then they're going to they're gonna get like Texas Tech in the second round, and Texas Tech is going to be favored because everyone's looking for that, that 7 over 2, that 10 over 2. So anyways, going back to my first one, if you're wrong, I'm going to say Dayton will get a 2 seed, but they will be underdogs in that second round game. I mean, there's just, I, I can't tell you wrong and I can't tell you right because we're talking about, you know, brackets. So then go to that bigger discussion of, of kind of what you were, I think that's kind of what you were getting yeah. at, how I think a lot of people will be on Dayton 
And even though Dayton, like, you know, had, had that nice run to Archie, they beat Ohio State and all that kind of stuff, I think they made the Elite Eight one year under him. So more so that I think people are going to like Dayton, but then when they play Texas Tech or, I don't know, Wisconsin or Houston or whoever in the second round, I think a lot of these overzealous people are like, ooh, we're going to have a 7 over a 2 this week. Yeah, and it's the big-name Power 5 program as the underdog mm-hmm. over the mid-major, I mean, very good mid-major, but still a mid-major status high seed. That's, I mean, that's always a trendy uh, pick, it feels like. So, yeah, I mean, that. I don't, I think you're getting into a separate conversation when you start talking about point spreads, but mm-hmm. what what are the percentages on people picking the upset? Yeah, I could see that for sure. So you wouldn't be surprised, and I don't know how often that happens. I assume it happens sometimes. Uh, let's say it is Texas Tech. So let's say the, the reigning runner-up National runner-up gets Dayton in the second round. I don't know where that game will be played, but let's say it is a seven-seed Texas Tech versus a two-seed Dayton. You would not be at all surprised if Texas Tech was favored in that game. I would be surprised if Texas Tech was favored because um, I'm guessing what Vegas might do under this circumstance where Tech is a trendy upset pick is they they would do that thing that they sometimes do where you look at the line and go, ooh, feels like the underdog is a trendy play here. I'm going with the favorite. You know, that kind of gotcha. thing. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it turns out to be a game like that, but I could see if you go to like the ESPN bracket where it picks down, it, it breaks down like how many percentages of people are picking each team for each matchup. And you saw, you know, 57-43 Texas Tech, but Dayton was a four-point favorite. Like that is, that's sort of the scenario that I would envision there, something like that. Number two, if you're wrong, and I wrote this earlier today, I'm not even sure if I if I believe it, and there's only probably a handful of people on the planet that could actually tell us if this is correct, but I'm going to say number two, Tua will not be drafted in the top five. So I don't think he's going one to the Bengals, not going two to the Redskins, not going three to the Dolphins, four to the Giants, five to the Lions. I don't think he's going to land in the top five with a trade. So tell me I'm wrong that Tua won't be drafted in the top five. Uh, I'm going to tell you you're wrong because... This happens every spring, and so I'm just going to bet on it happening again, is, you know, we get the evaluations out, and we, you know, we we know who the best players are, and we know who the best prospects are, and then we get closer to the draft, and suddenly everybody at the top of the draft feels like they need a quarterback. Uh, And two is really good. So... I, So it seems like you're almost playing, I mean, you do math, so you're saying there are... I don't know, 12 teams I would take him. You just need one, whether that is the Dolphins or the Lions or if somebody jumps up. How much of a part of it is saying, yeah, there might be 12 teams that would take him. We just need one to get into the top five. I'm taking those odds. Yeah, I I feel like not only do quarterbacks go high when they go in the first round, um, they go really high more often than not. And people, that's the one trade that people are not afraid to actively like lose the trade like they're they're gonna send too many resources they're gonna overpay because they want to get into the top six picks of the draft so they can get the quarterback that they know is still gonna be there that you know it it happens over and over and over again so I wouldn't yeah I, I would not at all be surprised if somebody trades up or somebody just takes them there you know Joe Burrow's got small hands we we found out this week he can't even be in the NFL uh, Did you see the comments about because some people have the theory that small hands might not help you if it's humid, and he played in Baton Rouge. Is it humid in Louisiana? Is that a thing? I think it'll be okay, 
going really quickly before I move on to my next one, going back to your last point um, or one of your points there about when teams will pay up for a quarterback, that's why it's kind of funny every year. Like when the Bears made the Mitchell Trubisky trade, and that's not really working out for them, the, the trade and taking him. But, but if you believe that he's your guy and he works out, it doesn't matter what you pay for a franchise quarterback. No. You could give them all f- top five of your picks, first, second, third, fourth, and fifth round, and if he doesn't work out, you're screwed. Yeah, you're getting fired If he no does work what. out, it doesn't matter. Yeah, that's the meta of the job now is, hey, make a big, splashy, insane trade to go get— this is the NBA and the NFL. Make a crazy mm-hmm. move to get a high-impact, high-leverage player because if it works— you're a genius, and if it doesn't work, you're going to get fired anyway. See, you, you don't have to sit there and clean up the mess of, of not having any more picks. Like, you're getting fired no matter what, so make the right, big Right, you're going to get fired if you're the 7-9 and nine team that, that's rolling whoever out there, veteran quarterback, 30-year-old veteran quarterback that's not working. You're going to get fired anyways. Yeah. I don't. I feel like that's not talked about enough. Where if you think this is your guy, and this, I mean, this is about everything. The instant reactions of when when a guy is is selected, all oh, horrible pick, all oh, great pick, or when a coach is hired or a coach is fired. Ultimately, the instant grades are just stupid, because especially in this case, if it's your guy, I don't give a shit what you pay. You go up and get him. Number three, eliminate the first four of the NCAA tournament. Uh, tell me why you want to. I just don't see the point of it. I remember back when they added that that first first four game, whatever they call it, the playing game, like in two thousand and two or whatever year that first came in when we expanded sixty five. I remember being like twelve or thirteen years old and saying, "Why are why are we doing this?" And nineteen years later, I still I get it. It's money. That's why we're doing it. But why are we doing it? What is what is the point of that? I don't. I, I, this is one of those things I just don't care about, right? Get rid of it, fine, whatever. Do Keep you watch it, fine, it? Whatever. Do I watch it? I mean, I'm a hoops junkie, so most years, yeah, I do. But like, I, I watch. I'm up at one o'clock in the morning watching Hawaii play U- the University of San Diego. So like, I'm not the right person to ask. But you don't. I, I feel like it's not in the spirit of the NCAA tournament. The NCAA tournament makes makes billions of dollars because people want to see the 14 over 3. I mean, the ratings for those games when it's close late are just through the damn roof. So I, I just, when I'm seeing an 11 versus an 11, I don't care who wins. Maybe if my team were the 6th or maybe even like the 3 in that in that little pod, maybe I would care. But I feel like it doesn't represent what the NCAA tournament is about. I do not care who wins. Again, I will watch it casually. But to have a tournament where you don't care who wins, it feels like the 8-9 game, I barely watch every single year. It feels like another 8-9 game, and we just have four more of them. And I don't understand why they're there except for money. Two more of them, really, because the 16-16 games are like... I don't even know what you want to call those. Those are... I don't know what what are we really doing here? We're saving jobs, right? That's basically the point of the first four is we're gonna save a couple more coaching jobs a year. Like, hey, you guys can't fire me. I was the sixty seventh team into the NCAA tournament, so we gotta you know we gotta run this back. Number four, another showbiz one here for the last one. We each of the last two weeks we've had a showbiz where so we're gonna keep it rolling here, and I I might have a hard time explaining what I'm doing here, so you might you might need clarification. I'm gonna say shows that TV shows that rest. 
too much on on you looking ahead and waiting for something some event to happen are really really hard to do and I think they're usually bad. Does that make sense? Nope. Did you watch The Americans? Uh, I have seen some episodes. I was early on The Americans, but I just got sidetracked. You understand what the premise is. Okay. Yeah. Do I, I, I think I'm starting to understand what your take is here. So, yeah. yeah. So for those of you who don't understand, I mean, if you did not see The Americans, I'm, I'm sure you understand what's going on here. It's basically Russians living in America. Are they going to get caught? When you rely, when, when that show first started... Everybody is thinking, what's going to happen? Are they going to get caught? Are they going to get killed? What's going to happen? And when a show relies too much on that, the other example I have here is Better Call Saul. I know you're not a Breaking Bad fan, but with Better Call, do you watch Better Call Saul? Uh, I, I'm going to stop you right there. I thought Breaking Bad was incredible. I just thought it was overrated. Okay. Do you watch Better Call Saul? I saw the first season. So in in the first the the first part of the first episode each season, they do a flash forward to post-Breaking Bad time. Right. When Saul Goodman is, is hiding away in Omaha. And I feel like that... I love that they're doing it. But in doing that, that's all I care about. I don't really care that much about how Saul Goodman was born, even though I think the show is pretty good. To me, that show, there's too much weight in what is next. I'm just sitting there waiting. When is everybody else going to come into play? When are they just going to move to to Saul's fast forward? So you understand what yeah, I it mean? It sounds like you're by saying you, you're you don't like shows that overly rely on the value of dramatic irony, where like in a lot of cases the audience knows something that the characters don't. Yeah, uh, not necessarily. It's more. I guess I in the like case of the Americans, it, it's just more the tension of what will happen. Yeah, and it, it's just the repeated shit. Like, oh, there might. I mean, like, are they really going to get caught in the pilot of the first season? No. And then they, they keep toying with you and toying with you and toying with you. The Americans specifically, they they just they don't get caught here. They don't get caught here to the point where you know that nothing's going to happen, and you're just waiting to see what ultimately happens in the season in the series finale. When, so when you first unloaded this take, and I wasn't sure where you were going with it, I honestly thought this was a Bachelor fantasy suites take, and I barely even know what that means because I don't watch The Bachelor. I I do watch. Here's what I watch. I watch Charlotte Wilder's Instagram recaps of The Bachelor because I will watch anything that Charlotte Wilder is involved in. But, um, I yeah, I, I don't... I mean, do you want to pour your heart out to her, too? I, I really doubt she listens to this. But... I just think she's great. That's all. It's it's not like a like I'm in love with her thing. I just think she has good content, and I like her. Um, Does she like Toaster Strudels? <laughs> I'm not, like, looking... Uh, I'm not looking through her kitchen window, like watching her eat breakfast or anything. I don't know. The reason that I wanted to bring up hot seat, and I, I kind of get sick of the hot seat discussion because it's one of those that you can just have no matter what time of the year it is. And kind of going to the the NFL draft thing, how many people in the world actually know if this job is going to open, who's going to who's going to potentially fill it? But the reason why I wanted to do it today was because uh, you know USC lost again the other night. Looking at Andy Enfield's record. I think he has like one tourney appearance, maybe two. I think one. I think it was a first four appearance too. Yeah, and that doesn't count, yeah. right? And he's just been very underwhelming to the point where I think USC should be better. And I tweeted something like, you know, his record and all that stuff over the seven years. And, and my buddy Vaisalis replied and showed the record for USC in the seven years before his arrival and that stuff. And is is about basically the same. So I don't even know if he was making really an argument, but... Where do you land with the, well, this team hasn't really been good ever, 
why should we hold someone like Andy Enfield to a higher standard? I personally hate it. It's, I mean, it's USC. We're not talking about like New Mexico State football here. I get it there. And even though USC leadership has been completely incompetent for so long, they finally have a real athletic director now. Why should we be sitting here saying this this program hasn't really done anything, so it's okay if Andy Enfield just goes 500? Where do you land on that? How much do you care about what they've done in the past? I think it depends on how the how the fans feel, right? So when you talk about USC, first of all, men's basketball pretty far down the list there, right? Um, number two, they are the set. They will pretty much always be like minimum the third game in town when you want to talk about basketball, right? Because it's the mm-hmm. Lakers and it's UCLA at, at best, and then you're talking about USC. Uh, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if if you talk to USC alums and they're just kind of like, yeah, men's basketball, eh, whatever. You know, if, if the apathy is in the fan base, then why am I going to get upset that infield has been average – over the last seven years. But I guess my point is, is that when you say, ah, USC basketball, whatever, why does it have to be, ah, USC basketball, whatever? I feel like it's, it's. I don't care that they're the, the third best show in town. And this is a major institution with a fat athletics budget, even though the Pac-12 sucks at everything. Why does it have to be, that's kind of how I feel about Minnesota too. I mean, I, I don't think that this Minnesota job gets enough credit for how good it has gotten over the last few years. And I think it's frustrating to watch how mediocre Richard Pitino has been. And it seems like there's just a pass there because Minnesota hasn't done anything since that Final Four run. Even before then, they didn't do a whole lot. So why are we just saying, ah, that they were okay before? I mean, it's kind of like now that P.J. Fleck has an 11-win season, now the bar has been raised. So maybe if USC bars been raised for Minnesota football, so you can't go back and say, well, it hasn't been like that before. So maybe if USC, like, makes an elite eight then everything just changes expectations wise is it because they're lacking that one true run and because of how much mediocrity they've had you just don't care uh yeah i I think it's all of that i think minnesota is a more interesting case to prosecute i mean look look where i live i live in richmond all right before 2011 vcu was a top half caa program that defined success as first of all when they cared about basketball at all because 15 years ago vcu was the school like a lot of the burnouts that you went to high school went to and now it's like this big basketball school like that's their identity and all of that is because of 2011 when they got into your favorite part of the ncaa tournament the first four and then they go to the final four and now you've totally rewritten what the script is for your program like with USC, there's just a bunch of people that don't care. They they might care about women's hoops at USC more than they care about men's hoops. I wouldn't be that surprised if they did. Like I think they have a pretty good women's hoops program. They got a good women's soccer program. Uh, so it, it's like, do you care? Because if you don't care, I understand why you don't have much of a standard for your program. There are teams at my alma mater that people don't really care about. Men's basketball is a great example. Nobody's cared about men's basketball at JMU since the 80s, you know, when they were playing. But if they made four straight tournaments, would that completely change? Probably, but it's it's a chicken and egg thing, right? Why are we going to put, how, how do we put resources and try to raise the bar and try to make people care about a program that isn't really doing anything? You know, how are we going to try to get people emotionally invested in a thing that they haven't been emotionally invested in 
for my entire lifetime. Um, so I, I, I don't, I'm not going to like freak out and, and, and try to raise, you know, try to inject enthusiasm from the outside into a program that it feels like on the inside, a bunch of people don't care about. Last thing for, regarding this, then we'll wrap it up. Specifically with, with USC, because they've kind of let Clay Helton just hang around, even though, yes, that buyout is there if they don't want to pay it or whatever. Is it, how much does Clay Helton come into the equation with something like Andy Enfield when USC for the last X number, well, we'll just say two years. I think in the last two years, you could have made a case for Helton being gone. When there, it seems like they're just kind of, fine with, yeah, let's just give Helton another year. Maybe he can win 10 games. But it, I'm not saying they're happy with winning 7-8 games, but because they, they've shown laissez-faire, I don't even know how you want to put it, with the football program recently and with how bad leadership has been recently, that it seems like that's almost carrying over to basketball. You know, If we're not going to make a move with Clay Helton, for a program that should be doing a hell of a lot better, a, a once very high-profile program that has fallen, why should we make a move with Andy Enfield? Does that at all play into it? I don't think so. I don't think it's that interconnected. I think the one part of that that, that I'd probably agree with is your observation about the nature of the leadership uh, in the athletics department at USC because it, it does feel like that it's been a little incompetent the last few years. And I mean, it's everything starts at the top in business and athletics, everything starts at the top and, and trickles down. Right. And if you have, you know, if, if you have bad stuff at the top, then you're probably going to have mediocrity in the middle too. And I think that's, that's sort of what you've gotten with both football and basketball. And with basketball, it makes sense to me because, you know, they, they don't have some great program at USC, some great men's basketball program, but with football, they've got a lot of resources They've got a pretty nice history. I think they have a decent coaching staff. They've had some really nice playmakers there the last few years. Obviously, they've had a great quarterback, at least one great quarterback in the last five years. And it, it feels like they just haven't gotten over the mountain. And I mean, maybe some of that's bad luck. Maybe some of that is, is you know, I call it what you want, fate or whatever. But I think at least some part of that is, is the leadership that you're talking about here. I will never be not amazed that Andy Enfield went from Florida Gulf Coast, the Atlantic Sun, to USC. I remember reading an article a few years ago about the the, the massive college sports agent. I can't remember what his name is. The guy who represents more basketball coaches than anybody. And when that Dunk City run happened, I think he said that he was hoping that maybe he could get Enfield like to another mid-major. Right like the Mac or like the Sun Belt, and then USC calls. I mean, it's kind of like how Carl Durrell ended up at Colorado. From how he told the story, it seemed like he was just chilling, and then Colorado's like, hey, do you want to run our program? To uh, to any other college basketball programs that just want to drop out of the blue and give somebody a job, I am available. All right, that's it for this episode of the High Motor Podcast. We'll be back soon, probably on Sunday with another episode. In the meantime, check out all episodes of the show, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere else. Give us a follow on Twitter at High Motor Pod. And per usual, feel free to hit up Chase for betting advice at Chase A Kitty on Twitter. Thanks for dropping by the High Motor Podcast. Country roads, take me home.